0: I keep cruising, can't stop, won't stop moving. It's like I got this music in my body. <laughs> and it's gonna be alright. Cause the player's gonna oh play, 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 play. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't start eat. with that. So oh my god, Rush with Johnny here, and you're listening to my podcast, Brave Not Perfect. I am so mortified because Ashley, my podcast producer, is making me open up this season with me singing Shake It Off, which I totally thought I knew how to sing, but clearly I did not. Because here's the thing we're trying to break free of the cult of perfection and be brave in our everyday lives, even if that means singing karaoke when your voice sounds like a shrieking cat, which mine clearly does. I didn't think it was that bad. But every week we're gonna explore one thing, one small thing that you can do to be brave. And listen, I'm gonna ask you to push yourself, to take risks, and to put yourself out of your comfort zone. And I'm gonna do the same thing. So this season, I'm taking on one of my biggest childhood fears. I just can't do this. It's so hard. I'm trying something I suck at. Oh, no way, I can't do that again. <laughs> you can. why are you talking like a baby? It was so scary. And I'm looking at my biggest dream straight in the eye. Even though it scares the heck out of me, For my last challenge of the season, I'm going to do the scariest thing of all. Keeping me honest this season is my producer, Ashley.
1: Oh man, we have been having a lot of fun.
0: I think what Ashley means is they've been having fun humiliating me.
1: And pushing you to be your best and bravest self. I think you've
0: been having some fun too. Mm she's here as my accountability partner this season because being brave can be scary. Sometimes we need a little support or a bit of a push. So every now and then you'll be hearing from them. Later in the episode, I'm going to be sitting down with my friend, the incredible Elaine Welteroth, someone who embodies what it means to be a bravery badass.
2: We are all born into the world with this limitless sense of possibility
0: and an unbridled confidence that The world eventually beats out of us she is the editor who transformed teen vogue into a socially conscious publication that centers diverse voices we'll talk about the bravery it took to create that kind of change and then what it took to walk away from all of it to pursue a different dream then she just said to me i think the
2: universe is calling you to be a little bit braver right now
0: if you're just tuning in i'm the founder and ceo of girls who code and I'm on a mission to build a bravery movement and to arm women with the tools to fear less, fail more, and live bolder. Get ready. Shake it up. Shake it up. Shake it, shake, shake, shake,
3: shake, 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 shake it up.
0: So caring what other people think is, it's such a deeply ingrained habit. It's something I like work on all the time. And I think that like so much of our obsession with perfection is wrapped up in this need to want to be liked. Um, From not being able to say no to feeling self-conscious if our makeup isn't just right or if we don't have the perfect selfie. We're always wondering and thinking about what other people are thinking about us. In a minute, we're going to talk about how do you take a deep breath and how do you retrain yourself to let loose a little bit? And just not care so much about what other people think. But first I want to introduce you to this amazing person who we've discovered, Dr. Vanessa Bonds. She's an associate professor of social psychology at Cornell University. And the person to talk to about understanding our social anxieties and how much we should actually be worrying about what other people think.
4: The research in social psychology over the past 15 to 20 years has some really heartening findings along those lines. Um, The kind of takeaway from a lot of research lately has been that we tend to exaggerate the extent to which people are sort of paying attention to our faults and the things we're self-conscious about. Uh, And we tend to exaggerate how negatively they're judging us for those things. Um, So we think that people are going to judge us for a bad hair day and notice a bad hair day. We think they're going to judge us for, you know, misspeaking or asking for help. When, in fact, uh, they either don't see those things, don't judge us as harshly for those things, and sometimes even appreciate some of those things, like asking for help.
0: So, Dr. Browns, you're saying if I come to work tomorrow with a pair of sweatpants on and no makeup, no one's going to pay attention or notice. me. <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: so and my sort of version of this is getting out of the house with a one and a five-year-old with mismatched shoes or like one earring in. <laughs> um, so it's not that no one's going to notice. It's possible someone will notice. But the sort of first finding, which is called the spotlight effect, uh, is that fewer people are going to notice than you think. So the spotlight effect is the idea that we think that a spotlight is shining down on our most self-conscious sort of traits or flaws when, in fact, it's not. And most people are so consumed with what they're thinking about and kind of your overall being that they're not noticing that one little flaw.
0: So interesting. What if it's like – okay? What if it's not mismatched socks or no makeup but it's like a big thing? So I ran for Congress in 2010. I lost miserably. I mean, shellacking, right? Like, not even close. And I remember the next morning when I woke up, I distinctly remember sitting there in a taxi cab and not wanting to look at my phone because I swore that everybody on Facebook and everybody on Twitter was going to be talking about me, was going to be laughing at me, was going to be saying things that were not nice or even feeling sorry for me. So was that just a figment in my mind? Did that not – was that not going to happen because they were too busy focused on themselves? Um, I mean, I think that
4: the negative for us lasts a lot longer than it does for other people. So maybe for a moment, people were paying attention, but then their attention kind of moves on to other things, things that they care about. They have a million other things that they're also thinking about. We continue to obsess and focus on that negative thing, even when it's big. Um, And so sort of our memory for that is much, much stronger and longer lasting than other people.
0: Yeah, and so they they think about it for a couple minutes, a few seconds, and then they're on to, like, the next thing that they're thinking about. Exactly. Whereas we're just, like, sitting with it and ruminating over and over and over again. I always say that, like, it takes me, like, a month of margaritas to stop thinking about it. Um, So, okay, so we've established that a lot of us care way too much about what people think. Some of your research is also about how hard it is to say no. Talk to me about that.
4: It's funny, we don't realize when we're not in the immediate sort of um, circumstance of having to say no to someone who's standing in front of us asking us for something, we don't realize just how hard it is until we're in that moment, and then we just find it incredibly distressing, incredibly uncomfortable. Um, In large part, because when we say no, it's not just that we're saying no to the thing that's being asked, we're saying no to the person. Um, It makes us feel really awkward, it makes us feel really guilty And so lots of times people will just not even bother saying no. They'll say yes to things they don't even want to say yes to because it's just so uncomfortable saying no.
0: So true. I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about how many people that I want to say no to that I don't and how many different circumstances, whether it's like my dad, like, will you, you know, read this contract for me or my sister who wakes up one day and decides she wants to write a book and she wants me to write the proposal. So I always say like every woman I know is like exhausted. And so much of our exhaustion is because we don't know how to say no. So I need strategies, Dr. Bones. Like, give me some strategies on how to say no.
4: Yeah, I I definitely, for me, for a long time, it was like death by a thousand paper cuts. It was just like <laughs> saying yes to all these little things and just feeling totally overwhelmed. And, you know, using the insights from my research, I've really worked to try to get to a place where, if I'm doing something, it's not because I couldn't say no to it. That's just not a good reason to agree to something. Uh, I do work on asking for things. And when I try to tell people how to get what they want, I tell them to ask people face-to-face because people are much more likely to say yes face-to-face. So I kind of turn that on its head when I think about saying no. Um, And if someone's asking you for something face-to-face, I often say, take a beat ask them to email you the request. You don't have to say no in the moment. It's really hard to say no to someone face-to-face, but you can say, follow up with an email and I'll think about it. And then you can be mindful about it. You don't feel put on the spot. So that's one thing I do is kind of buy yourself some time, buy yourself some space to think about it. Another thing I like to do is to keep track of all the things I've said yes to so that when someone asks me for something, I can go back to that list and kind of think, can I fit this in? If not, then I could say, actually... I already, you know, I've already said yes to these five committees. I can't say yes to another one.
0: So it's clear, though, that we are still probably too worried about what people think about us. And we need to figure out how we can learn to let some of that go. Does that mean we shouldn't care at all what people think about us? I mean, I always say it's like, should we all be like Cardi B and be like, no fucks given? (laughs) Um, I mean, I definitely think we give
4: too many fucks and we should give fewer (laughs) fucks. Uh, We definitely kind of over-exaggerate the extent to which we need to be perfect and say everything the right way and how people are going to pounce on anything that we do that's not exactly right. But on the other hand, giving a fuck or caring what people think is not all bad. Uh, it actually is a sign of respect when you care what other people think about you. Uh, it suggests that you actually care about other people. So there's, there's research that shows if you make a mistake you know, or you trip or you say something wrong and then you show some just little sign of embarrassment, people like you better because it shows that you care what other people think.
0: So like I always start every single one of my speeches about a story about how I ran for office. Mm-hmm. And I literally say, I was humiliated. I was broken. I didn't know what to do next. And I literally can feel the shift in the audience. All of a sudden they're with me for the rest of my talk. And I and, and it matters in some ways because I'm talking to sometimes a lot of men about gender parity and technology. And so I want them to be as open as I possibly can get them to be. And it it always I always can get there because I start with the failure story. Yeah. And um they like me better for it. I, I can feel it. It's, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, it makes a,
4: you know sharing or even just being embarrassed in front of people. It it shows your vulnerability. It makes people come towards you, right? Instead of like back away. It's like oh, now I'm leaning in because I care about what you have to say. And it's funny because we're our first inclination is always to hide when we feel embarrassed. Like oh, I don't want you to see that. But in fact, seeing that embarrassment is is often what brings people closer to us.
0: This is awesome. So interesting. Thank you so much for your time. This is going to be fun. Sure. I love this topic, so I was thrilled to get
4: to talk about it.
0: My ex-man bought his new girlfriend. She's like, oh, my God, but I just shake it off to the fella over there with the hella good hair. Why don't you come over, baby? We can shake, 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 shake. Come off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's Ashley. I'm the producer here on Brave Not Perfect. And while embarrassment might bring people closer to us, I'm not sure Rushmo's quite ready for all of y'all to get that close.
0: Yeah, everyone's going to run away from their sound. No, I'm not. I can't believe we're going to actually subject anyone to my horrible voice.
1: It's going to be great.
0: Is there any negotiation here? I think I might have sung a couple of songs a little bit better. Can't we start with one of those? So, first of all, no. (laughs) Um, It's
1: so delightfully bad. Uh. And it's going to inspire some folks to be a little bit bolder and care less about what other people think. Because whatever they do for the challenge that you give them later in the episode, it's not going to be as embarrassing as you singing Taylor Swift for (laughs) the world to hear. And second of all, you think those other songs were better?
0: And the hear? I got a shout though. He was like, "Yeah, oh yeah, you 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 got I, a shout." I had a fan. I had a fan. Um, yeah, this is like the most humiliating thing I've ever done, Ashley.
1: <laughs> We're not done yet. Do you remember that our colleague Charlotte was taking video?
0: Yeah, I thought she was doing that for fun.
1: So you're gonna post those on social media. And for those of you listening, Rushma is super easy to find. She's just Rushma Sujani on all of her
0: social channels. Oh, my God. Are you serious? That's going to exist forever on the Internet. Look, I know I said that I wanted a challenge that was going to help me get rid of, like, caring what other people think. But I had more like, you know, putting some curlers in my hair in mind. You asked me to hold you accountable during these bravery challenges, yeah?
1: Yes, I did. Um, so, I think I remember seeing something in your Brave Not Perfect book about a moment where you were at the airport with curlers in your hair, and you had this realization that you just did not care at all. Does that sound familiar?
0: It does. It does. It does. You're right. And it wouldn't be very brave. And I appreciate having an accountability partner like you that's going to help keep me honest. But do we really have to open up the whole episode with people hearing me sing?
1: It's the whole season, just so you know. And yes, absolutely. Um, what's this really all about, Rashma? What's the very first thing you told me when we met?
0: This is about like helping women find their authentic self and to let go of perfectionism, let go of like caring what people think, and to live life for them. So, look, I'm happy, Ashley, that you held my feet to the fire and made me sing Shake It Off. And I'm sharing it with the world. Because I do, I do have a lot of joy when I sing. Even though I have a bad voice, it makes me happy.
3: The eye of the tide.
0: So technology is the center of how our world is changing from the way we work to the way we live to the way we buy. And if you want to understand it, you have to talk to the powerful people who make it. And that's what Kara Swisher does every week on Recode Decode. It's a podcast about big ideas like innovation, accountability, and power. Kara gets to access the most influential people and then covers how they really think about the world. And look, being interviewed by Kara Swisher, it's not easy. Trust me, I know. She skips over the talking points and she gets straight to the truth with tough but fair questions. Recently, I was on Recode Decode. We talked all about diversity in Silicon Valley and how Girls Who Code is fighting to close the gender gap in tech. And it was an amazing interview. Kara terrifies me, but it's a good kind of scared. So what are you waiting for? The name of the show is Recode Decode with Kara Swisher. She keeps it real. New episodes publish every Monday and Wednesday. Listen and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Bravery, it's not about slaying dragons, and it's not also about getting up in a karaoke bar and belting out a few songs in front of strangers. Bravery, it's a muscle. You have to use it though to make it grow stronger. So when you're faced with those big consequential moments in your life, you're ready. I think we can learn a thing or two from Elaine Welthroth about standing in your power and giving fewer fucks in those moments. The pages of Elaine's book, More Than Enough, claiming space for who you are no matter what they say, they're chock full of bravery. They chronicle her rise to editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue, she gets vulnerable about what it took behind the scenes transforming that brand. Today, Elaine's working as a judge on Project Runway. She just finished writing a best-selling book, and it's clear that this is just the beginning. I'm delighted to share this conversation with you. So, I want to talk about your book because uh, I thought that there were so many lessons about following your truth. And you know, you have this line that that came up, which says, you know, when the world tells you to shrink, expand. Can you talk a little bit about how you followed that lesson in your life?
2: Well, there have been so many times where I did not follow that <laughs> mantra. But in order to employ that lesson, you kind of have to you have to know what it feels like to be shrinking. I always say to young people, it's as important to know what you don't want in order to figure out what you do want in work, in love, in friendships, and having experienced being in relationship to people, things, titles, Work environments that have made me feel smaller than I am has pushed me to recognize when it's happening and to push back against those forces um, because life is too short and there's too much room for us all to be as big as we are to waste time feeling small.
0: I thought what was so powerful too is it, and we especially see that I know I see that my work with girls of color and I loved seeing you with your mother. And it's clear to me, you know, that she taught you to to shine. Mm -hmm.
2: She gave me space to to be who I am. Um, My mom and my dad did that for me. And I share some stories in my book, like, from my early, early childhood that sort of illustrate the kind of parenting I had and the kind of person I was born to be. And I think about women in particular, we are all born into the world with this limitless sense of possibility and unbridled confidence that the world eventually beats out of us. And when I was two, three, four, nine, you know, eight, nine, I was a badass. Like in, in one of the stories that I talk about in my book is just being like, three and asking my mom to put me in this beauty pageant. And when we got on stage, all the other two and three year olds were going on with their, with their moms, you know, clinging to their legs and too afraid to talk once they got on stage and got the mic. And my mom tells the story of like being backstage with me and tapping her on her knee and pulling her down and being like, I'm going out on my own. <laughs> and she was like, I didn't know whether to cry or to be proud. She was like, Here, I am getting fired by my three-year-old. Um, she was like, I was so proud of you. And also, so just I was like, the audacity of this girl. She's like, and you won that crown that day. And, and it's it's like you look back, you're like, who was that girl? Where did that confidence go? You know? Um, and and also it's like I was the only brown girl in that entire competition. And guess what? I didn't know that. I didn't know that brown girls like me weren't the ones wearing crowns and and out here running the world. I didn't know that. The world taught me that. You know, I remember being really impacted by the lack of representation in media at a very very early age. I remember, you know, wanting the white doll because that's the doll I saw on the commercial. If there was ever a doll of color, she was in the background, she was a sidekick, you know, and I remember feeling like I don't want to be the sidekick. And over time, I think that kind of s- not seeing myself centered anywhere around me, including in the white neighborhood that I grew up in, definitely took a toll on my self-esteem and that shrinking that I talk about, it started to occur. And I think when we're if we're lucky, we realize that at a certain point and we start to reclaim those pieces of ourselves that it got left in the dust.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I've talked to with so many women of color is this idea of like so for me as an immigrant daughter, my parents taught me to like not color outside the lines because they didn't want to draw attention to themselves, right? And for many of my, my black female friends, same experience, different reason. And so it's, it's shocking sometimes when, as you now see women of color, women like me and you start to show our flaws, right? And to tell the truth behind the scenes, because we always thought that perfectionism was the only way that we were going to actually succeed. So when did you learn, how did you learn that, right? Right that lesson, that you actually have the power to show the reality behind the scenes. Hmm,
2: that's interesting. Um, yeah, because it's a privilege, right? You have to... Accrue. It's like a white male
0: privilege, right? Like, yeah, it is.
2: Yeah, you have to have a certain amount of power to be able to show the ways in which you feel powerless in some, in some points in your life. I think, I don't know, I've always been a truth teller. I've always, I think, as a journalist, at the, at the heart of every journalist is a truth teller, and I've never been very good at that "fake it till you make it" thing. I have a bad poker face. Um, I definitely, though, have felt that I have to work that there that there is an expectation of me that I must work ten times as hard as the next person for. Equal or even sometimes half the respect.
0: Well, it's interesting because I think what you're talking about, which I think is powerful, is the difference between I feel like I got to work hard and I can tell the truth about what, how hard it is. You know, I think that that's the thing that's powerful. Watching you is that it's not like you pretend that it's also easy, right? Because you're you're talking about the mess behind the scenes at Teen Vogue, right? You're showing that the reality is a little bit more mo- messy or a little bit more complicated than maybe you think. Yeah. And that's new for a woman of color. You know what I mean? That's new for right. us because we never felt like we had the power you know, to do that.
2: Well, I also think what's new is having people who look like us in these positions. And I think that with being a first, it comes with responsibility. And you haven't done your job if you are the first and the last. I think the goal is to be the first of many and to open the doors. And I have been held up as a trailblazer in my career. And I'm like, I don't want to be called a trailblazer unless I am actually making that trail easier to walk for the next woman of color who's coming up behind me. So my job, part of my responsibility is to leave signposts along the way.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. Do you feel like, so I've always found it so interesting about your moment to leave Teen Vogue, because the other thing is, is that I sometimes feel like the older we get, the more we accomplish, the harder it is for us to take a risk, the harder it is for us to walk away because you got more on the line, right? So tell me about that journey of like what you were thinking and feeling when you were like, it's time, it's time for me to pursue my next big dream. It's
2: very hard, to your point, it's very hard. The older you get, you become more and more defined by the job title you have, by the the salary that you earn, by the relationships that you have. And your world can get... sort of smaller and smaller and become defined by the four walls of the company that you work at. And I did feel that pressure. I did see like the ways in which my identity had become so intertwined with being the leader of Teen Vogue at this really pivotal time in culture when Teen Vogue was having a huge moment. And, you know, all of that, I was so proud of it. And I felt like I'd done what I came to do. And so
0: that's brave. It really, that's really it's brave.
2: brave. But I have to say, I would not have had the courage, though, to walk out when I did if it weren't for a a woman and women in my life affirming me. And um, I will never forget. I really actually owe it to Ava DuVernay, who I had the opportunity to sit down with when I was debating whether to stay or go. And she just looked at me and said, do you want to know what I think? And I'm like, yes, I was desperate for advice and guidance. And she just said to me. I think the universe is calling you to be a little bit braver right now. Wow. And once I heard that, I could not unhear it. And the decision had been made. I was like, that's it.
0: And that's rare because I feel like in moments where I have had those conversations with, with women, sometimes you're like, oh, you know, you got a good thing going on, right? Most people totally. will tell you Woo. to stay put. Right? People like
2: to keep you small because most people can't see, and that's okay. It's never their fault. But a lot of people, when you are a visionary, it it's lonely because only you can see the vision most times. But that's why it's important to surround yourself with women who are, are visionaries in their own right and who can see what hasn't been created and who can create what doesn't exist yet, you know? And- I, I do know what you mean, though. It's always your, like, well-intentioned friends and family. You know, they never – they're not trying to keep you in a box. But they're – it's hard sometimes for people to not project their fears onto you. Like, I always – I think about dreams like little seeds. They're fragile and they need sunlight, and they need nourishment, and they need water, and they need space to grow. And if you plant your seed in the wrong garden and you let someone trample on it, it's a wrap. <laughs> like, you're, that, you're it may never blossom. And I know that in so many different points in my career where I was at these really fragile moments and really, like, pivotal turning points, if I had a different kind of woman on the other end of – those conversations, I may never have had the courage to go after whatever that dream really was that was deep inside of me and um, it would never have blossomed, you know? So I think we have to be mindful of the tribe that we're building and be mindful of who we're sharing our dreams with and and also know that sometimes you're going to have to march to the beat of your own drum and other people aren't going to hear it. That's a wrap. Yay. That was the fastest podcast interview I've ever done. Woo. Really?
0: Oh, because we, we, we know what we're looking for. We got it. Yes.
2: <laughs> you are the best. I freaking
0: love you. I'm sending you so much love. You let, if you need anything, let me know, okay? Okay. It's time for your first Everyday Bravery Challenge. This week, I want you to let go a little bit and do something you do if you didn't give any fucks about what anyone else thought. Something that makes you feel just a little uncomfortable. Maybe it's sending an email that's sort of important and leaving that typo in. Yes, leaving that typo in. Or it may be saying no. Maybe your brave act is walking out of the house not looking your best or posting a selfie with no makeup. Everyone's challenge is gonna be a little different. Just do something that gets you out of your comfort zone. And as we embark on the challenges this season, not every challenge is going to be right for everyone. So if the bravery challenge one week isn't a good fit for you, it's fine. Do something else that's brave. Do something that makes sense for you. And when you're done with your bravery challenge, I would love to hear about it. You can leave me a voicemail at 347 76 brave Again, that's 347-76-BRAVE. You can also call that number to ask me questions or share your Brave Not Perfect story. We might even share your message on the show. And you can find that number in the description of this episode. Another place you can connect with me where there's just awesome Brave Not Perfect energy happening is the Brave Not Perfect Facebook group. It is this incredibly supportive community where you connect with me and other listeners and just Break away from that cult to perfection and share the progress that you're making on your bravery challenges. And I've got a really lovely Brave Not Perfect story to share with you right now. It's from this incredible young woman who asked me a question at the Women's Summit I was speaking at at Bryant University. Junia Janvier is 18, and she's starting a program to support young girls of color in her community called My Sister's Keeper.
3: I remember asking what advice you would give me about like a program because like I remember you saying like be bold and just like do what you feel like you have to do without feeling like there's any repercussions just like go ahead and do it if that's like what you're passionate about and I was passionate about um, serving girls of color for a while now and so just asking that kind of like set it free and I also never like publicly announced that that was something I wanted to do and so I just kind of took the opportunity. My Sister's Keeper is meant to be for 7th and 8th graders at Sophia Academy. So Sophia Academy was the middle school that I went to in Providence, and it served um, mostly girls of color. However, it served all girls like a diverse range, and it was for low-income students within the province community, and it was private. Um, So I spent four of my years there. And so it really had a huge impact on me and like what I wanted to do um, in terms of like social justice, being that it had a huge lens around that. And so what My Sister's Keeper is, is pretty much bringing a program to Sophia Academy for those seventh and eighth graders to prepare them for the transition to high school through a lens of like advocacy, self-love and self-care. It's been a long process, but I'm just excited to like be able to learn so that way in the future I can do something even more better and like actually have something that I'm definitely proud of and that I know will serve the community in a positive way.
0: I'm so proud of Junia and can't wait to hear how her program goes. I'm so glad you tuned into today's show. Make sure to listen in next week because I am confronting one of my biggest childhood fears and talking to some intimidatingly Badass women. See you then.
1: Oh, hey. Did you enjoy today's show? One small thing you can do to help us out a lot is to share Brave Not Perfect with a friend. Or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That'll help us get the word out. Meaning Rashma's rendition of Shake It Off will be playing in more earbuds, bringing pure delight, and helping more people choose bravery over perfection. I'm Ashley Dejan. your executive producer. Tanya Zaporonic and Charlotte Stone are my co-conspirators. <clears throat> I mean, co-producers helping bring these bravery challenges to life. And of course, we've got Deborah Singer and Jenny Josephson working behind the scenes to support the show with the same gusto many of us have for cheering on Megan Rapino. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.